Welcome to the show. We uh, share great physical therapy conversations so busy PTs can feel connected to your profession. That's what I hope you get out of this. Uh, exciting show today. This is really, really cool. We've got uh, Penny Goldberg on the program. Penny wrote a book about some topics that usually intimidate people, overwhelm them. A lot of times we ignore these things to our own detriment or to our own bottom line uh, or our own safety. But um, maybe you should just lean into understanding these things. Uh, Penny wrote a book and we'll dig into what it was, but really it's about documentation, billing, doing it ethically, safely, properly. And it might sound dry, but she makes it fun and she understands this stuff so well that you actually understand this stuff. And isn't that the point of reading a book? I think it is. Uh, somebody else that understands billing is Physiotech. They support the show. They asked this rhetorical question, or I asked the rhetorical question, would adding an additional $290 per patient per quarter help your clinic? Of course it was. Remote therapeutic monitoring can do that. Find out how they walk you right through it with RTM at physiotech.ca. That's physiotech.ca. Our friends at MW Therapy, they're due for another episode coming up. They deliver a modern all-in-one outpatient PT EMR with the built-in patient portal, marketing automations, and billing features you want at the value your clinic, your business deserves. MWTherapy.com, where switching your EMR is easy. And uh, ATI just started uh, supporting the show not long ago. Thanks for keeping us on the air, keeping me stocked up with new microphones because I break these all the time. Uh, ATI, one of the leaders in clinical research within the PT profession, with more than 900 of their clinics placing in the 100th percentile in CMS's MIPS program for the second consecutive year. Hit ATIPT.com if you want to join their team and jumpstart your new career. That's ATIPT.com. Uh, we kick off the show. I'm just going to give you a little hint. We're coming up uh, in a second. We bring in Barry Manilow to the program. It's never happened before. Dig in. <laughs> Penny Goldberg, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I like to get the deep questions out of the way first. Okay. Hit and me. I heard that you are a fanalo. Oh, I am. Uh, my mom is the biggest fanalo. So uh, I can think all the way back to like being, I don't know, four or five and like laying with my head on her lap while Copacabana, the movie, was on TV. Um, and just refusing to go to sleep until it was over because I needed to know what happened. Um, and it, it just kind of went from there. She used to make us listen to it on my way to high school. My best friend could also sing Can't Smile Without You. Um, yeah, it's the go-to. I'm not a karaoke here, but it's the go-to karaoke song. It's Copacabana. Like, it, just, it just makes me happy, you know? Yeah. So I'm going to give you a Barry Manilow lyric okay. that I thought about before. Yeah, I didn't um, study we hit re record and I just, I, I, what I was looking for was lyrics that resonated like some, some quality Fanalo, uh, uh, lyric that resonated also with PT. And I felt, I feel like this song or these sets of the, this group of lyrics does it. And it was, um, it, it, it really was, uh, even now when there's someone else who um, cares, when there's someone home who's waiting just for me. And I feel like yeah. Barry Manilow. Gets right yeah. to the heart of the matter. That feels like a very PT set of lyrics. Yeah, that's a great song. Um, why'd you become a PT? I, I, sometimes I ask guests this before we hit record, but I didn't know the answer to that. So like for you, what was the path? So I, I never wanted to be a PT. Uh, yeah. I went to PT school to be a better athletic trainer. I felt like 
10 plus years ago, you know, I started, P- I didn't go to PT school until 2010. So I had been an athletic trainer for 10 years prior to that, 11 years prior to that. Um, I went to PT school because I felt like the direction that athletic training was going was towards rehab coordinators being outside of the baseball space. It's really just been baseball that has that position. Um, I thought that universities were going to go that path. It, it's the one that made sense to me. It all kind of ties together with the book, but um I thought that starting to look at at pathways for reimbursement made sense in the division one setting where those departments don't have money and can't pay, um, you know, for the athletic training staff that they needed, that that was going to be an alternate revenue stream. Um, And then it just didn't, it just hasn't played out that way that, that, you know, it wasn't just me having a wild idea. It was the discussions that were going on that seemed to be the direction that people thought it was going to go. So I thought I'd get a a head start and go to school and, and have the degree, you know, and be able to have, billable time. Um, but I, I always intended to finish PT school and then go back into the athletic training world and, and athletic training just isn't, isn't where I thought it would be. And, you know, some, some just different pieces along the way fell into place where I was like, I actually like being in the clinic and I don't mind having my weekends off. And, you know, I, I have a lot to learn from these people who, don't know their bodies as well, don't know exercises, don't know training. Um, and now I think that, you know, the, the that piece of like how to coach exercise, how to coach interventions in someone who has no idea what a pelvic tilt is. They've never heard that word before. They've never thought about where their hip bones are in relation to their knees or their ankles or anything else has really been kind of humbling. Um, and also, yeah, it's super valuable. Yeah. You, you've got a, cl- a, a a pretty creative and innovative role anyway. I'm going to make sure I get this right. Yes. In, innovation champion. Yeah. Like help me, help us understand what that means and like what you get to do with it. And then I'm sure there's some people out there like, yeah, I want to be that too. Yeah. So I work in a clinic that is not PT owned. Um, we are owned by a single owner, really. He owns a gym. We have a hundred thousand square foot gym space right next to us. And his passion is teaching business to everyone else, right? So if you come in and you work on the gym side of things, he wants everyone to, to feel like they can run their department and they can run any other department. He calls it integration. Um, and so then the person that he put in charge of the clinic is also on that business side of things. He came up in the gym world. He was a, you know, a, a sales counselor. Um, and so he brought that to the PT side of things and said, what if we teach our PTs how to run a business. What if we kind of let them have a little bit of free will in what they do? So we are super open in this clinic to any and every idea that either works for the PT, works for the clinic, or is mutually beneficial. So um, if you have a program that you want to start balancing falls, uh, decreasing the risk in the elderly population, right? And and you have a a plan and you want to group it and, you know, organize a package and you want to sell it to people or you want to lease it to the clinic, we will let you, we will help you design it. We will let you pilot it with our patients. Um, we'll kind of work with pricing models and how you want to get paid. Um, and then when you leave, you take it with you. So it's, it's pretty neat. Um, we've had, you know, a handful of therapists come in and um, really be part of that we, we talked about this at CSM that it really has to be the right person. We, we've right. also really done this wrong by trying to force somebody into that role by trying to say, this is the program that we need. We hired you because we think you're a great therapist. And then 
can you also run this program? And that went terribly. So right, right. it's certainly got to be someone who has some entrepreneurial spirit to start with. But but if you have ideas, um, we will nurture them and develop them and test them and tweak them and get them ready to go so that if and when you're ready to launch that program, it's it's yours. All right. So, so you alluded to the book, right? <laughs> and when people write things, um, I'm typically amazed because I... I mean, I have, I don't hesitate at all to pat myself on the back when I read a book. So when <laughs> someone writes a book, I'm usually like, wow, that sounds harder uh, and more difficult because I know how hard reading a book can be. So let's start like super macro. Like why did you decide to write a book? It's probably not an easy process. And then describe like overview because we're going to dive in. I'm going to like, I'm going to sort of like give, we're going to play like uh, batting practice. I'm going to, I'm going to pitch you some of the ideas in the book and you can go deeper. But right now, surface level, why'd you do it? Who's it for? What does it allow that that person you designed and wrote the book for to do or become? So we, we did it to help PTs and ATs kind of the one big conversation on Twitter was sort of the catalyst. It had been floating around in the back of my head. And then some conversation about billing, Nick is my co-author. He can tell you exactly what the conversation was. I, I don't remember exactly which one it was, but I think it was the one that led to the first time that I was on the podcast with you, where right. we were talking with Craig Pfeiffer about some business type things. Um, and then the more those conversations went on, the more it became apparent that a lot of PTs just kind of go through the motions when it comes to insurance and billing, and they don't really understand the process. Um, and then on the AT side of things, ATs are constantly trying to show their value, and they do it um, through kind of using a reimbursement model uh, for what they do, and they almost all do it incorrectly because they don't have any training in the codes. They they right. very... Um, What's the word? They have very valiantly tried to learn it all themselves, right? With not a lot of guidance, with no one in the profession who's really billing for their time, even though they, they have some ability to do that, depending on the state and the payer. Um, and so it was like, what if what if we just put together this book that was kind of all the things that we're teaching students over and over again, um, that also would benefit athletic trainers, that also could help new grad PTs. And this is what we ended up with. Love it. All right. So yeah. we've said, I, I just realized we've said the book multiple yeah. times. I'm being a really great podcast <laughs> host. It's called the insurance roadmap for rehab providers. Did I get right. that right? Yes. And it's on Amazon. Like you made something that's now on like the, you know, on Amazon. It's the coolest no, thing. It has got to be the coolest thing. Yeah. The, when the, when the proof came, I was out of town my, my boyfriend, you know, had to open it up and send me a video. Cause I was like, I can't wait three more days to see this. Right. And I was like, I can't, you know, you just have no idea. If you've never done that before, you have no idea what the numbers that they're throwing out mean and bleed right, lines right. and this and that. And so I'm like, it looks awesome in the proof, but I have no idea if the pages are going to be cut off. Like right. I can't even, I can't even print on letterhead with a copy machine, let alone, you know, right. publish a book. But um, it turns out it was, it was pretty good. All right. So let's dig in. Let's just do some mini lessons, right? I mean, yeah. You got to go deeper. That's why you wrote a book. There's enough information that's book book worthy, um, and we'll put the link in the show notes if they want to take a take a look and and grab the book. This is a resource that's going to help guide you. So let's talk about the difference between upcoding and billing for what the patient needs. Right? One feels like it might have a, like a negative connotation on it, and one feels like why we show up as PTs or ATs. Uh, let's talk about like how would you how do you describe that or when that topic comes up, where does your head go? So for, for me, in my very personal experience, right, I had an, an exercise specialist, right? That's what we call techs in my clinic. So uh, who was working with a therapist who doesn't work here anymore, 
the tech doesn't work here anymore either. He just graduated from PT school, but he said, you know, we're going to start, um, we're going to start doing STEM on everyone. And I said, why? He goes, because we can build another code. Right. Well, that's, that's not why you do STEM, right? Like you do STEM because people need it. Um, they're having pain, they're having trouble with contraction. Like there's any number of reasons why it could actually be a, an important treatment, but just because you can build a code right. is uploading. Um, and unfortunately that is still a super common practice when it comes to the untimed codes in particular, right? They don't, they don't pay very much, but they're another seven to 10 to $12. Pile it on, people man. are packing on with, with the argument that if it feels good, why wouldn't you do it? I'm like, well... I wouldn't do it because it's not ethical. <laughs> like, because it's because then I'm not. You know, we we sometimes forget that as providers, we also have a contract with the insurance. It's not just the contract that the that the patient has. So, sure. my contract with the insurance, I also agreed to do what was medically necessary, and I agreed to document it the way that they want me to document it. And they, in turn, said they will pay for it. So, um, I I have a responsibility to my patient to do the things that are necessary that are justifiable that I can argue for if somebody pulled me into court and said, why did you do this? Um, and, and a lot of the times when it's the argument of, well, it feels good, the patient likes it. Um, one, that that's completely in opposition to the definition of medical necessity that says you can't right. do this because the patient or the provider wants to. Right. Um, also, it, it does, you can get, you can get STEM on Amazon for 30 bucks, right? right? So, um, yeah, just let, let me toss this one out there. Yeah. Uh, there's no set number of minutes that a patient needs when someone yeah. says that what goes off in your brain? Yeah. Um, so we, we have a lot of patients who say when we're like, okay, you're done. Like, I think, I think we're gonna call it a day. And they're like, well, my, my hour's not up yet. I'm like, well, who told you you get an hour? Like, this isn't a, an hour long appointment. It's, it's a, what do you need appointment? We've done enough work to be done. Um, I think that's another mindset that comes from the idea of um, people being told we need to get to five units. We need to get to 60 minutes. We need to get to four units in, in Florida. It would only be four um, that some of the, the bigger kind of box type PT clinics have perpetuated that idea. I, I don't think they all do it. I, I don't think it's fair to, to necessarily label them all that way, but I think that that's where it came from. Um, is that what we need to get while the getting is good. Right. Um, and, and really that's not what matters. What matters again is medical necessity. So the patient needs what the patient needs. Sometimes they only need 15 minutes of um, soft tissue mobilization. And then really they can do the rest of it on their own. And, and we should feel comfortable telling them that that's the appropriate amount of treatment. Okay. Uh, next topic I want to hear your take on because um, this never come up on the show before and I've done more than 1100 episodes, but it seems so simple, but I want you to dive in. Right. So I've never signed a contract with an insurance company as a, as a, as a person, as a PT. Um, but there are, there are these organizations, payers, right. Insurance companies yeah. and your state, right. Cause you have a state practice act. You're licensed yeah. by your state here in the U S yeah. and I never thought about it quite like this, but each payer has rules. They write them down in a contract and you sign them. So you agree right. to those, those set of rules and your state practice act has rules and regulations and you got to know both. It's on you to really just not just sign those things, but to actually know what, what is in both sets of rules to be able to bill and treat legally and ethically. And I don't yes. think a lot of people pay attention. I mean, I feel like when I say that, it's like, duh, but I, I would bet 
there's a decent percent that have never looked at their state practice act or the defined print of, of a payer contract. Well, so I don't know the answer to this, but depending, I, I think most states have a laws and rules test, right? Have a jurisprudence exam. I, don't know do, bro. I think a lot don't. Okay. So, I mean, that, that would be the number one reason why I think people look at their practice, right? Act, right? They're forced to study it. Um, but even then, I don't think anyone's learning it per se. Right. Um, and, it, you know, on the insurance contract side, unless you ask, it doesn't matter who you get hired by, small clinic, big clinic, you know, major PT provider company, unless you ask to see it, and even then they may not know where it is, um, it, it's probably going to be hard to find. What's a little easier to find are the medical coverage guidelines for the payer. Right. right? So if I want to look up Blue Cross Blue Shield of Florida, I can't necessarily see the contract that my clinic signed but I can see the Florida blue medical coverage guidelines. And in those guidelines, it tells me what they'll cover. It tells me how they want it documented. Um, it tells me how they define the codes because they, they use this, the CPT code, the 97110, the 97112, but they don't always have exactly the same definition. Um, so that's all in the medical coverage guidelines. And you, and you are responsible for knowing both because if you were to have a, uh, you know, a claim brought up, against your license that you were billing unethically, that you were treating patients for more time than you should or whatever it may be, uh, ignorance is not a defense. And, and that is definitely made clear in PT school. I don't know if the implications of that ever are, but right. um, yeah, certainly you're responsible for knowing both sides to the story. The Medicare coverage guidelines are super easy to find. They're in chapter 15 of the um, beneficiary manual that is easily Googleable. It's just not easily digestible. It's a different right? language. R right. And you have to read it. And every time you, you know, you read a hundred times and you'll get 99 different messages out of it. You know, what is, what exactly does that mean? Like, do I need to have a signed plan of care? What if they've already seen the doctor? What if it's been 30 days? How long do I have? You know, there, there's some grace periods written in there and it, it just is, it's confusing certainly. Um, but it's not impossible. Yeah. And, 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 and chances are people listening to this and other people's in, in our profession and these two professions that you referenced PT and AT this is not necessarily the, the reason we, we dove into these things, but they are still important. So that's where a book like yours comes in. It's like, listen, we're going to lay it out there for you make it understandable. Right. So, you know, I, I currently have a student right now who is on her second clinical at the first clinical. She didn't see anything about billing. They told her huh. on day one, she wasn't ever going to see it. She wasn't going to learn it. So we've been talking about it and, and in our discussion, a lot of times we have to say, I want you to put your business hat on and listen to what I'm saying. Now I want you to put your PT hat on and tell me what that means to you, right? Because the, you have to be able to understand both sides of the story to, to get why your boss is telling you what your boss is telling you versus trying to get done for the patient what the patient needs done. Um, there's probably a, a third hat that is the insurance company's hat, right, of what they're trying not to cover and how you can play their game a little bit, even though we don't like it, right? You can play their game a little right. bit to, to get things covered for the patient. Because at this point, as much as, you know, we as providers don't like it, most patients are still accessing services through their insurance. We still live in a world where most people have health insurance and they're already paying huge premiums for it. So they want to use it when they need health care. All right, I'm going to toss this out here because I, I think when I read it, I was like, oh, I didn't, I don't think I knew that. Uh, all codes are not paid the same. More skill equals more money. I, I don't, I just figured, 
I think maybe I felt like most people are, I'm assuming here, which is like a code is a code is a code. Like, help me understand this. Yeah, so there's three things that go into a code. Uh, your location, your geographic location, your um, your skill, the PT skill, and then the, the type of clinic, right, also plays into it. So um, it, it ends up being a relative value unit, which is a, a multiplier that they put towards the dollar amount. So let's just use aquatic, aquatic therapy is the really easy one. If you have a pool, you get paid more money for providing aquatic therapy because it's assumed that that's a higher level skill because that's not something that's taught right in PT school, but it also costs more to have the pool. Right. So the code pays better. Huh. Right. Then, it, you know, if, if you have the pool in, in LA, in Chicago, in New York, then you're getting paid more than if you have it in Gainesville, Florida. And that, that holds true for all of the codes. Now, just to further complicate this in, in the Medicare's rule or CMS, you get paid a decreased percentage of those codes if you build the same code twice, right? Or, or you build multiple codes in the same day. So I'm going to get 100% of my first code. And then in my second code, they're going to go, well, we already paid you the practice expense. Like we already paid you for the, the electricity, for the, for the pool, whatever it is, right? We paid you the piece that keeps your clinic open. So you're going to see a seven and a half approximately percent decrease the in the second, second code. Then you're going to see it again in the third code and again in the fourth code. So interestingly, Medicare incentivizes you to treat more patients for less time if you have your business hat on, right? Because I can see two patients for a 30-minute $60 session, or I can see one patient for a 60-minute $100 session by the time that multiple payment reduction has gone into effect. Wow. This was definitely not taught in PT school. I right. You know, I didn't, I didn't know a lot of this, a lot of these things. That's why they're jumping out at me really easy for me to see like, wow, the, these aha moments. Um, how about this one, which I'm sure a lot of students, no, I'm going to say a lot of P students or practicing PTs. You can't just work on something because you want to, or the patient wants to, there has to be medical necessity. Now, when I say that, it's like, well, obviously, but how many times do we say, let the patient guide the treatment? Or what do you see you, you treat? So, so help us understand, because it seems simple, but it also seems a little confusing. Okay, so let me qualify that. You can work on whatever the patient wants you to work on or whatever you feel like needs to be worked on without medical necessity if the patient is willing to pay cash. Got it. Right? If you want to go through insurance, you have to follow the insurance rules. And the insurance rules say there has to be functional limitations, that it has to be something that, that has to be so... Um, of, of enough skill and complexity or enough sophistication that the task that you're asking the patient to do, they can't do without your eyes, your ears, your hands, whatever it is that you're providing them that makes that so that it becomes that skilled physical therapy that we do learn about in school. Um, I, I would argue, and I think Nick would too, that you can take almost anything and find medical necessity. You just have to work a little harder for it, right? You have to add some intensity to the to the task that you're asking them to do. If they can get up and down from the chair, that's fine. Like, can they get up and down from the floor? Can they get up and down from the floor without using their hands? Can they do it while they're holding, you know, a, a 10 pound weight that's simulating a baby, you know, whatever it may be, can they bend over to put that child into a car seat? Um, if you, the, the more complex you can make the task, the more likely you are to, to find the medical necessity that's probably there. You just have to work for it a little bit. Yeah. All right. Last thing I'll throw out from the aha from the uh, the, the book again. It's uh, it's in the show notes if you want to take a look. The insurance roadmap for rehab providers. Um, 
most people are spending too much time on daily notes oh, yeah. and not enough time on progress notes. Right. Why is that? You've got some interesting insights. And then, you know, damn, what should we do about it? Obviously, you know, buy the book. <laughs> right, right. So there, there is a section in the book that's not on billing, coding, or insurance, right? That's just kind of on documentation, right? What have we picked up? What, what are the highlights of documentation that need to be included? And, and this is part of it. Um, your daily note is simply a record that the patient was present. It doesn't need to say a whole lot more than that, but you know, most people hopefully learned in school and on their clinicals that patient tolerated treatment well is not good enough. That's not good enough because come the 10th or 12th note, when that progress note is due, patient tolerated treatment well doesn't tell you anything about what they did, but you don't need a super in-depth description of interventions of why you did them, of how you did them. Um, how you're going to progress them, that doesn't need to be in every daily note. That's what the progress note is for. Your daily note needs to say the patient was here, they're doing their homework, they're feeling better, this is their pain level today. Your objective needs to list what they did, right? And, and that list needs to be only as in-depth as is necessary to justify your billing, Yeah. right? It needs to show an appropriate amount of minutes, however you... Um, however you choose to log that. And then your right. assessment is the piece that needs to have some sort of comment on how the session went beyond it went well. Right. What Patient tolerated well. well. Come on. Right. But it, it only needs to be one sentence. It doesn't need to be a comment on every single impairment on every single intervention. Cause over 10 visits, you could comment today on how they got up and down from a chair and you can comment two days from now on how they got up and down from the floor. And you can comment next week on how they, tolerated the stairs. And then all of a sudden on the 10th visit, you've got 10 sentences that make up your progress note uh, assessment and you're, you're good to go. Um, you have some insight too. We'll go deeper on just notes. You said, listen, it's like clockwork. You, you can predict this before a new student even walks in. And if it never gets fixed or changed or addressed, that person graduates and goes out to the world. And that's where we see a photocopy of a photocopy in terms of documentation. You yeah. said it's like clockwork. You can predict it. When you get a new student, you ask them if they know codes and they typically don't. You ask them what they might need to put in, in a, a document for a progress note. That's different from a daily note. And typically they don't know the difference. But the part that really bothers you, you say, is that they want to know. Right. They want to be paired, prepared. I mean, typically PTs, PT students are overachievers, right? We want to be prepared. They tell us all the time before you go on clinical, relax, before you go to PT school, don't study, relax, take that time, enjoy it. And what do we do? We go and start studying anatomy just yep. willy-nilly, right? Absolutely. So so where should this be, right? It should be before they're, they're clinical. But since it's not a lot of the time, because a lot of times schools will say you'll learn that particular uh, skill when you get to your clinic, what should PT students specifically do about it? Well, they should obviously buy the book, right? <laughs> because that's what the book is for. But the, the book was kind of, you know, in in its, you know, creation as, as we were going through this and we thought about all the different places where it might be applicable. You know, when I was in PT school, we had a prep for internship class. And that's oh. where we learned a little bit about documentation, a little bit about billing. I still have nightmares about the day when we tried to learn the difference between objective and assessment because the person who was trying to teach it to me was not it was not using words that I understood right. and I was equally not using words that she understood to ask my question. Um, so the, the book was kind of to give clinicians, to give CIs a tool to be able to, to guide what the students maybe need to know at its most basic levels, because 
absolutely the students are coming in and they're saying, oh, no, I don't know anything about billing, but I really want to learn that. And as we evolve into a profession that has uh, a lot of people who have a side hustle of mobile PT, even more want to know it because they now they need to know billing, right? Because they're not in a hospital setting. You know, what I learned as a student was um, I, I remember my, my CI distinctly saying, I just I just charge everyone three units of 97110. And I was like, okay. So then I charged everyone three units of 97110. And I went all the way through my residency charging everyone three units of 97110. And no one ever questioned it. No one looked at it. No one cared. Um, but if I owned, again, put my business hat on, if I own the business, if you're doing skilled therapy, I want you charging the correct code because the higher the skill, the higher we get paid, right? The more we get paid. Um, there's some very low hanging fruit there when it comes to just actually billing for what you do, as opposed to uh, kind of going through the motions again, to use that same kind of terminology. Um, so I, I think it should be in the prep for internship class. If that's not an option, I do think that most schools have a business course. Um, and, right. I, and I think that there's room in the business course for uh, not necessarily an in-depth look at insurance, but there's certainly room for a lecture or two on billing, coding, and documentation to support medical necessity. Yeah. Uh, glad you did this uh, for my communications brain. I tell people all the time, this is what content is built for, right? And you created a book. There might be some students out there who don't like reading a book. So yeah. I hope you guys keep doing, I mean, you're doing a podcast interview about it, but we know what this is. This is us chatting about it, right? They want to get tactical. So I hope you guys keep going and create short videos or create podcasts or break it down into you know graphics and take this information and share it because this feels valuable because... I can go back to when I was a PT student, I can still feel that feeling in my gut when the topic of codes or documentations, I, I wanted to do it right, but didn't know how I can feel that feeling in my gut of not feeling good or prepared. So the fact that you understand this and you wrote a book, that's a great, huge, you know, giant step for mankind. I hope you keep going. So thank you. Um, and you know, you know, obviously that you told me a couple months ago now at this point that you thought that's what we should do. And we had kind of already talked about it, but just to, to hold myself and Nick accountable, right? This student that I have right now, um, after the first day that we talked about billing, she goes, you should really make some YouTube videos of this with like you and a whiteboard. She goes, I, I would watch it over and over again. Be the so, Katie Porter. Be the, you know who representative Katie yeah, Porter I is? I do. Be yeah, the so, Katie Porter of documentation. I mean, I could sit there and watch Katie Porter all the time. If you don't know who Katie Porter is, like just Google her. She breaks things down simply, which yeah. is a skill. Like, I mean, I was reading something recently about, you know who Alex Hormozzi is? Mm -hmm. I don't know that one. So Alex Hormozzi, essentially, I can't remember the name of his uh, company for some reason right now, but he, he, he helps like gym owners like launch and scale. Okay. And he went from like, literally, I think he said he had like $18 in his bank account and now he's a bajillionaire, right? Yeah. And they broke down Alex Hormozzi's videos and his presentations. And first of all, it looks like a gym bro. He's always wearing like a tank top, right? He's always wearing gym shorts. But that's sort of his audience, which is like those are the people. he. So he shows that I understand you because I wear the same things. Right. And I talk the same way as you. He never uses large, large words, but he says a lot. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's where some people screw up in – in getting to, because what you're talking about is coding and there's nuance and there's, there's some depth there. You're talking about legal language. And, and what I think that, where I think people fail and I think you haven't failed is 
you understand it so well, but you didn't try to show that off. You showed it. You didn't show it off. Well, thank you. So I hope you guys do keep going because this is something because when you we when you can solve an emotional need, people tend to beat a path to your door, right? There's a reason Louboutin shoes sell a lot. It ain't footwear. It ain't because you can't find a cheaper shoe. That right. solved an emotional need, whatever that might be for someone who wears Louboutins or I want to use this type of camera or this is why I drive this type of car. It's an emotional thing. And I think you do that in a good way. It's not badge value, right? That like Louboutin has. You right. solve an emotional thing is I feel overwhelmed and underprepared. I want to be mm -hmm. confident and competent. And right. you show up and you say, I've got a book. I've got a YouTube channel. I've got a podcast. I will teach you this 50 different ways, however you like to learn. And this is something that could, if enough people understand this, this elevates our, I'm not trying to get too grandiose here. I didn't write the book. I don't get a nickel. This could elevate our profession and help people and help businesses do things right. Right. Which is, which is really where it comes from for Nick and I is, yeah. uh, you know, Nick would, he, he's treating a patient right now, but he would tell the story better. It was his wife that said something that kind of resonated with both of us um, where they were having a conversation about the book and kind of, you know, how it was selling or whatever. And she said um, something to the effect of if you help one patient get better treatment, then you have accomplished your goal. And she's absolutely right. Right. If that's what it comes down to, if, if one PT reads it, if one student reads it and they understand something just a little bit better so that something gets covered so that the patient feels better, whatever that may be, um, then we've done our job here, yeah. you know? And, um, and that's the way to scale communication, right? Cause it took how, you know, ballpark it. How long did it take you guys to go from idea to finished product when you, when you saw the proof on Amazon, like ballpark it for me? Just about a year. Okay. So you spent a year, but that is going to the, I mean, just, the, the, the power of content is you could have one person look at it a day, right? For 365 days, that's 365 right. people. Or you could have 100 a day because you put all that effort into one really great resource. I mean, look at this stupid podcast that I started <laughs> because I felt overwhelmed and and intimidated. I was like, I don't know. I guess I'll just grab a microphone and start answering, asking people questions who are smarter than me and shutting up long enough to have them answer. And like, I'm dumbfounded and i used to run radio stations i'm still dumbfounded how how it can scale how good information how good work made well known can really help people and yeah. uh it's pretty cool i don't know i'm getting you know it gives me the heebie-jeebies it makes all the, <laughs> the hair on my arm stand up i still get i still get excited by it well i i told you we were doing it and we are i so in a in a mutually beneficial situation uh, I agreed to give this student a daily billing example. Okay. So I have to do the work every day and then Good. she has to give me her answer and they are going to collectively become a podcast, YouTube videos. Right. And, and I'm, you know, presenting things. Sometimes it's about billing. Sometimes it's, if we're doing a single leg deadlift, what's the difference in how you document it for therapeutic exercise versus therapeutic activity versus neuromuscular reeducation. And she, you know, she likes going through it because like you said, PT students are overachievers. Um, so it, it, it's coming. We're, we're, yeah. we're trying to make this as grandiose as, Good. as you feel like I, it can be. I'll use a quote from one of my favorite movies. It's a Mel Gibson uh, movie called The Patriot. And he says, aim small, miss small, which is where some people creating content might be like, I need to create the greatest resource in content and I need to solve big problems, and answer big questions. And I actually think that really great resources 
answer small problems and small mm -hmm. questions. They might do them a lot. I don't think you should do a thousand videos. I think you should do one video at a time, maybe for a thousand days. But if you aim to do a thousand videos, you'll, you'll probably fail, right? Because that's too big to lift. I want you to eat that elephant one bite at a time because that's the way you can get it done. Yeah. And you do that, the world's going to be the path to your door. Take that one thing you write down, make it a reel, make it a, an, an Instagram carousel, make it a post, make it a meme, and that stuff spreads because it's good yeah. information. Yeah. Cool. I, I appreciate the uh, appreciate the support. Go do it. And when you yeah. get there, you know, just say, just mention my name. That's all I'm asking for. Just a small, just a yeah. small nod. All right. Uh, Penny, are you ready to play three questions on the show? I, do I have a choice? You do not have a choice. Okay. Then yes, I'm All right. Uh, three questions brought to you by our friends at Owens Recovery Science, a single source for PTs looking for certification in personalized blood flow restriction rehabilitation training. That's uh, BFR, as the cool kids are calling it. If you want to add it to your clinical practice, plus the equipment you need to uh, apply it properly, get certified and find out more at owensrecoveryscience.com. We shuffled up the question deck for Penny today. None of them have to, anything to do with Barry Manilow. Oh, dang you can it. answer them as a Manilow. <laughs> uh, first question, who is the best boss you ever had? And what made them the best? Who was the best boss you ever had? And what made them the best? Think back. Share yes. some. So I, I think I've been very fortunate that I haven't had that many bosses. Um, but the best boss I ever had was Carolyn Greer. And she is the former head athletic trainer at the University of San Diego. She was the first female head athletic trainer in Division I. Um, she held that role for 30 plus years. Wow. Uh, she, she was so, she wasn't, she wasn't always kind, but <laughs> she, she, she was so, um, such a big thinker. She believed in what she did and she believed in everybody that she worked with. So she pushed everyone a little bit more The the very, she was also very humble. So the distinct conversation that I remember with her was I asked her one day while we were in doctor's clinic and I was listening to her talk to the team physician. And I just did, you know, I was, I was right out of AT school I didn't know a lot of the words and a lot of the stuff that they were talking about. And I said, you know, at what point in your career did you feel like you knew more than you didn't know? And she, you know, she's 20 years into it at that point. She goes, I don't know. I'll let you know when I get there. Oof. And I was like, that is a super important thing that I'm just going to store in the back of my head and keep it there. Um, and, and, you know, I, I just saw her when I was in San Diego for CSM, like we have kept in touch for, it's been almost 20 years since I worked for her. She continues to be a great mentor. She continues to be a resource. Um, and she just has been that kind of uh, role model, right? She she was a woman doing all the things when women weren't necessarily doing those things. Yeah. So yeah. And she, she forced me to learn things that I didn't know I wanted to learn or needed to learn. In fact, she is the one who made me learn insurance. So you saw it coming. Some good yeah. insight. Yeah. All right. Second question on three uh, three questions. What is something you love that is just vintage? What's something you love that is just old school vintage that you just, I mean, you, you just love it for no reason. I just love it for no reason. I mean, the answer reason. could be Barry Manilow. It's not, it's not Barry Manilow. The first thing I thought of was Nuka's on the block, but it's not that. It's, it's bubble gum. Bubblegum. Yes. And I know it's, it's unprofessional and it seems ridiculous at my age, but if I am, if I am in the car by myself, I have a piece of bubbleicious, preferably, but sometimes I can only find Hubba Bubba. Sometimes I can only find Double Bubble, but I, I just love to chew bubble gum and blow bubbles, and it, it just makes me happy in a way that I can't explain. But 
is old school to me. All right. Third question on three questions. If you could install one piece of advice, like, like in their operating system into a baby's mind, you're going to put something in their brain, install it from day one. So they just know it. What advice would you give? If you could install a piece of advice into a child's mind, a baby's mind, what would you put in there? The lyrics to Copacabana. Right. Right. The, the very important lyrics to Copacabana. Um, it, it gets better. Okay. I think would probably be because, because I think that applies to dang near every situation I can think of Yeah. It, when it's, when it's good, it also gets better. But when it's bad, that's even more important to remember, right? Like this, this is not the best it will ever be. It's not the worst it will ever be. If you're lucky, your, your life, you know, will be a, a, a mix of the two. Well said. Yeah. Uh, the book is, uh, is available on Amazon right now. Again, the title is the insurance roadmap for rehab providers. Check the show notes and the uh, description of a YouTube video for a link to that. Penny, thanks for doing what you do. I think that uh, you are, you're creating a great resource for people to learn. Now, the last thing we do on the show is called the parting shot. All right, parting shot, your last chance for a mic drop moment or a soapbox statement brought to you by the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy. Uh, they're the leaders in orthopedic PT with their great resource, Current Concepts of Orthopedic PT, available right now in their fifth iteration. Takes you for It's another great resource like your book. Takes you from wherever you are in your career as an orthopedic PT and says, listen, if you want to take that OCS exam, we'll get you to the starting line of that exam, confident and competent. Find it online at orthopt.org. Uh, Penny, your parting shot. You have the uh, the stage and the camera. What do you want to leave with the audience today? Um, okay, so I want to go back to your last question for just a second because I I thought of something else that is not my statement, but I think it's something that's really important. And it is a uh, it's a Jess Sims thing, right? She's a Peloton instructor. She's a, a Nike athlete, and she ends most of her classes by saying, "You can be a work in progress and a masterpiece at the same damn time." And I think that that's also a really important message. Um, I just, I don't want to leave that out, but my parting shot is that there is a secondary value to all of this in, in that as PTs, we talk a lot about not getting paid, but we think we should get paid and how to do those salary negotiations that were not taught in school. You know, that, you know, everyone on Twitter will get behind you and say, you have to know your value. You have to know your worth. Um, I think if you can word out a little bit over the numbers, over billing and reimbursements, and how many units you're billing and knowing the codes you can go into some of those meetings with higher ups right your boss your supervisor whoever it is and say this is the reason why i should make more money right i, I know how much i'm making for this business i know what my value is to this business because i can see the numbers and run the numbers um and, and i think it just gives you a a leg to stand on when it comes to salary negotiations yeah. performance reviews things like that yeah yeah, knowing your worth is one thing, also improving your worth. And that's right. and, and a, lot, a lot of times it's what you know. Right. We happen to be in a world where we have actual data <laughs> that shows us what we are worth to a business without any of the extra stuff. So absolutely talk about the other stuff too. What else do you know? Talk about your soft skills, your therapeutic alliance, all those things that are incredibly important. Yeah. But if you can back it up by saying, you know, I also bill... Um, $2,500 a week, $3,500 a week, whatever it may be. 
knowing what the, the goals are for the business, right? You can see where you fit into that. Yeah. Um, I think it's super valuable. You know, my boss would tell you he absolutely wants a therapist who, who comes in and says, this is what I've been doing previously. And I can tell you, we, we just got a, a resume from a girl coming from Miami. I've seen a ton of resumes in my lifetime. This is the first time I've ever seen someone say in their cover letter, I'm comfortable seeing three patients an hour. Right. So she, she set that expectation up front. This is, this is what I've been doing. This is what I'm comfortable doing. So when we had a conversation, I could say, you know, tell me what you know about billing. Tell me, you know, how, how are you figuring out where your minutes are going when you're seeing three people in an hour, how much help did you have all, all sorts of things that came out of that question. Um, but I do think we're moving, you know, into this, you know, as much as we don't like it because we want therapy to be a, a soft profession, right? We, we want to be on the art side the science side still has metrics and that as long as we live in this insurance world and, and to be honest, even if, we business side. if we weren't in insurance, you would still want to make money. You still have to make enough money to live. You still have to know how many patients you need to see to break even in your own budget right? versus a business budget. Right. And so you have to understand these numbers. How much is a unit worth? How much, you know, how many patients do you need to see in a day to buy the Louboutins? Right. Correct. Like, what does it come down to? So I, I think yeah. that they're instead of being scared of these numbers, we should embrace these numbers. Lean in. Yeah. Lean in and learn them and do them, do them right. Right. right? Do them properly. And that's what right. I feel like your book is like saying, listen, you should lean into it. I'm going to make sure this isn't scary. I'm going to make sure you're doing it right. Right. Well said. Uh, well, Penny, thanks so much for coming to the show and thanks for, for doing this and sharing your time. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. They say the best conversations happen at happy hour. Thanks for coming ours. Like what you hear? Tell a friend or leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. The show today is brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. The Brooks IHL offers seven on-site PT residencies, including orthopedics, women's health, geriatrics, pediatrics, sports, and neurology, as well as a neurologic OT fellowship, a competitive OMPT fellowship, and a speech therapy clinical fellowship. Therapists that complete a residency or fellowship through the Brooks IHL will markedly advance their knowledge and skills in a specialty area of practice. Learn more about how a residency or fellowship can help you advance your professional development at brooksihl.org. Our home on the internet. PTPinecast.com. Created by Build PT. Build PT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs. From website development and hosting. Providing content marketing solutions for PT clinics across the country. See what Build PT can do for you today at BuildPT.com. The PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast LLC. It is hosted and produced by PT Pinecast CEO Jim McKay and CBO Sky Donovan from Marymount University. We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com. 